Welcome back to the East Main Podcast. I'm Brian Brodeur. This episode is part two of my conversation with musician, composer, producer, Mike Keneally. The music playing underneath this introduction is called Liquid and Fumes, which is the opening track on the debut album from MFTJ, which is the super unique collaboration of Mike Keneally and Scott Shore. I first met Mike several years after he was a member of Frank Zappa's last touring band. If you're not familiar with that band, check out Zappa releases including Broadway the Hard Way, Make a Jazz Noise Here, or The Best Band You Never Heard in Your Life. It's amazing stuff, definitely worth checking out. After his time with Zappa, Mike has worked with a who's who of high-level musicians, including Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, and more. But along with his own substantial body of solo work, which I strongly recommend you check out, he's a prolific collaborator, working with notable artists including Todd Rundgren, Devin Townsend, Kevin Gilbert, and Andy Partridge of XTC. His latest collaboration is a duo project with producer-musician Scott Shore of Lazy Bones Recordings. It's called MFTJ. Mike and Scott released the first eponymously titled MFTJ album in March of 2020, and they've released their second MFTJ effort entitled My Mom's Getting a Horse in January of 2021. I spoke to Mike Keneally about the debut MFTJ collaboration in April of 2020, and here's that conversation. Tell me about MFTJ and uh, what it's all about. Scott Shore is is somebody that I met uh, through Marco Miniman, who was the uh, the drummer in Joe Satriani's band and also has did a, a huge amount of, of work with me on albums like uh, Scambot One and Wing Be Fantastic. Marco is unbelievable. It's just <laughs> beyond unbelievable, actually, as a drummer. So he was working with Scott Shore and Scott's label, Lazy Bones Recordings, mm-hmm. and, and putting out a number of, of Marco's solo records. And also Marco was doing uh, trio records with Tony Levin and, and Jordan Rudis that Scott was producing and putting out on his label. So I met Scott through Marco when Scott was living in New Zealand and at the time and, and Satriani was, was coming through town. And so just went out to dinner a couple of times with Scott Shore and just hit it off on, on a personal level. And he came to see the Satriani shows and, and became interested in, in what I was doing and, and checked out some of my solo stuff. I, I sent him Scambot 2 and he checked that out and thought it was real interesting. So initially, he was interested in what ideas that I might have had for a trio album, you know, maybe somewhere along the lines of of Levin, Minim, and Rudis. Yeah. Can you leave somebody, somebody? What, what, you know, what what ideas did I have with that? And actually, uh, that set in motion me getting involved with uh, with Devin because mm-hmm. I, I thought that it might be interesting to do something with Devin and Danny Carey from uh, uh, from Tool. Tool. Yeah. Danny plays at, at Baked Potato all the time. Mm-hmm. And one night I, I bumped into him there and, and I asked him about it. And he's like, yeah, that sounds great. So he was like, so that that was the Carrie Keneally Townsend project was was mooted for a second there. And I guess could be revived at some point. Mm-hmm. Although now we're talking about doing something with with me and Devin and Morgan uh, Ogren, which is also unbelievable. Morgan is, is the drummer on some of Empath. Mm-hmm. I'm going off on tangents here, but anyway. No, it's good because I was going to say, uh, we've always dreamed of the Tony Lev 
seven Tobias Ralph Keneally trio. But let's not go down that road. So please continue. <laughs> I should mention that I have done a track with Tobias. I know that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which hasn't come out yet. And that's something for later. But okay. So at some point, I just maintained this contact with Scott. And we were emailing back and forth about any number of things. And the trio project kind of withered on the vine for the moment because of so many other things that I was up. And then he just said, what do you think if I just start sending you some tracks that I, because in addition to him being a label head and a producer and, and stuff, he's, he's a musician as well. Right. He, he plays drums, he plays uh, bass, and, and he messes around with doing music on computers. He right. likes to listen dice things. Mm-hmm. So he said, what if I send you these rhythm tracks that, that I'm doing and you just go in the studio and just be completely right-brained about it. Don't worry about writing. Mm. Just go in the studio, yeah. play guitars, play keyboards, and let it flow. And that sounded like a lot of fun to me. So he, he sent me these tracks and they're, you know, just like they're really hard hitting and peculiar and cool and fun and easy to play over. And when I listened to them, it didn't just make me want to blow or, and, or just like try to shred or play crazy stuff. It, it encouraged, you know, strange melodic ideas or strange textural mm-hmm. ideas. So I went in the studio and, and just played extemporaneously, just uh, improvised. Although, you know, if I hit on something that I thought was promising, I would take a moment to refine it. And if I played something that I thought was cool, but didn't quite execute it right, I would right. say to Jeff Forrest, the engineer, who uh-huh. was also the engineer on, on Hat and Boyle at Dustbeck and Sluggo. Yeah. He's got an amazing pedigree. He was like the first guy to work with Blink-182 in the studio. Yeah. Jeff is a, a San Diego legend in his own right. So I would, I would ask Jeff to you know, go back and punch in, and I would, I would refine little bits here and there. But for the most part, it was very free and, and improvisational. And, and so I, I did uh, a day of, of that, of just the guitar and keyboards on 11 tunes. And then I sent those tracks back to Scott Shore because you know, he was living in Australia right. by this point, uh, recording in the East County of San Diego. So being together in the same studio at the same time wasn't an option. Right. We have to work remotely. But it really worked in the case of this project. I sent him those tracks. He then did the thing that he does, which is go put on his mining helmet and find the gold nuggets in, the, in all this stuff yeah. and turn it into hooks. You know, like he would take this something that I might have uh, done once in the middle of something else and, and it would just like strike him in his producer head. Mm-hmm. There's the hook. There's the thing that is going to be like the verse or the whatever and turn that into a repeated motif and, and then find other things, in some cases, things that I had played in other songs and layer them right. together, uh, you know, just flying things from all over the place and creating these structures. And then he created uh, his first draft of, of song structures and sent that back to me. And then I went back in the studio for another round and, and you know, played another bunch wow. of stuff and then sent that back to him. And then he used you know, that as additional seasoning. So he's just taking you know, bits and pieces of things that I played and, and creating these song structures. And the end result is is nothing like either of us have ever heard before. It's it's really uncategorizable, um, but it's because his rhythm tracks have so much propulsion and coolness to them. Right. It really moves, you know. But musically, it kind of fits into a thing that I've noticed over the last, you know, say fifteen twenty years of mm. more a lot of more modern production, and in some cases, the more adventurous stuff it, it is coming from artists like you know, Kendrick Lamar or, or yeah. the Flying Lotus, uh, where you can really get away with a lot musically and, and texturally and sonically, as long as there's this 
forward motion, this this propulsion to it. The, the, I, th- I think the modern year has evolved to the point where you can really put a lot of borderline subversive content on a record as long as it makes you move, you know? Hmm. The, modern pop music is not safe the way it used to be. Right. You know, maybe now certain things have, have become codified and, and and stuff but it's it's still if you compare what the modern sonic palette is compared to what it was 40 years ago pop music is a lot more abstract and 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 peculiar now for for better and worse i, I do think in, in some cases the ability to just write a song is not uh, venerated in in the way that it that it used to be and and there's a, of course there's a part of me that would love for just like good old-fashioned songwriting to right. be respected in the same way but there's this other thing that's been going on, and you know, MFTJ is is not a a, a songwriter record. It's a, sort of like an adventurous sonic experience that has a lot of life to it. It's a lot of vitality, a lot of a lot of humor, and I, I think that that you know, it comes down to you know Scott Shore just being really uh, crafty and creative with just this this huge blah that I that I right, uh, provided. Right. You know, I, I I gave him like a, a vast well of stuff to draw from, and and he created you know, really interesting, fun tracks out of it. And it's it's this you know I think it's a breezy listen. It's ten tracks. Mm-hmm. It, it goes by in forty minutes. You know, like good old fashioned album length. And I think it's like really replayable. Like it, because I because of the way Scott constructed it, I barely remember anything that I played on the thing. So if I listen, to it, I don't think of the stuff that I did, even though you know most of what you're hearing is stuff that I played. Wow! Because he hunted down the the gold and you know chose how to arrange it. Yeah. It really feels like you know just like something new to me when I listen to it. And in the way he layered things, I, I find that there's always new stuff to discover. And because it's not hugely long, I find that when it's over, I want to just go back to the beginning and start listening again. So I, right. I think it's just a really cool record. I'm really happy to be involved in it. And I didn't see it coming, which is another thing. It's, ah. it's like Scott just said, you feel like playing on these song, these tracks that I made? Sure. I just go into the studio for a couple of days and blah, 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 blah. And then this comes back. You know, it, was, it was like a gift. Uh, so I'm, mm. I'm really, really happy about it. I'm happy in my life so where can people find you know more information but more importantly where where can they buy the download of mftj it's it is uh it's only available on bandcamp which i believe is just mftj.bandcamp.com and uh that's the only place that it's available uh, yeah i would encourage people that are into fun music that is adventurous but you know it has aspects of uh of the bizarre, but mm. it's not overly bizarre. It's mm. just fun, you know? Uh, please check it out. This is Brian Brodeur, and thank you for listening to the East Main Podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a good rating. And most importantly, please stay safe and healthy. As I leave you with another track from MFTJ, this is called Prostate 911. Take care.